Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode featuring a technology pioneer as he was anointed by the World Economic Forum, a top 40 under 40 by San Francisco Business Times, a Silicon Valley 100 by Business Insider, and one of the 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs, Ryan Howard. Hello, Ryan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Rena. Thank you so much for having me today. So Ryan has created an incredible solution to the leading cause of death in U.S., which is heart attack. Uh, now, we've, all of us have heard tragic stories of a friend or a relative dying suddenly from a heart attack. I had two last year. Uh, in fact, there was, what, 600,000 deaths from heart disease every year, which is, what, about one in four. And um, not only is it the leading cause of death in the U.S., it's 95% fatal when it's sudden, and it does predominantly affect men. So... Here's Ryan to the rescue. He's created iBeat, which is a smartwatch uh, that can save your life. And we are going to learn all about it today from, from Ryan. So, Ryan, let's get started at the beginning. Tell us your backstory to iBeat. Why did you create it? So, I had started a company called Practice Fusion about 12 years ago now. I left the company in August of 15. And to be candid, Rena, someone once told me life is a balance of health wealth and love. So health being obvious, eating well, taking care of yourself, exercising, wealth being, you know, our daily lives, our working, you know, why we do what we do. And then love being personal relationships, professional relationships, intimate relationships. And with that, you know, when I left this company, we had a really good run at the company. We grew it into the largest physician patient platform in the U.S. But when I left, I recognized that, you know, if you think about those three segments I mentioned, on a pie chart, anytime you focus on one of those too much, one or two of the others will suffer. And I noticed that, you know, my personal relationships and intimate relationships had really suffered. And my plan was simply just not to work again. My, my ego didn't need to be a CEO again. And um, I just wanted to catch up on life, spend time with my kid and, and um, my family, my mother and father. And around Thanksgiving, a really good friend of mine, he was 41 years old. His name was Mark Dunley. He passed away in his sleep. And, you know, again, to be, you know, really true candid as well, I focus on health a lot more than most of the people I know. I eat 100% organic. I have a, you know, personalized medicine doctor and a gym in my house. So living to 100 and not just doing that, but thriving, like being very mm -hmm. strong when I'm 100, being able-bodied, being able to walk down the Embarcadero and be autonomous and have my freedom is kind of part of my goal and part of most of the decisions I make on a daily basis are geared towards that. So, when I saw someone you know, in my life that was so young die from something um, in this manner, um, especially in his sleep, that especially was kind of triggered a, a really deep fear in me. That really kind of, uh, it, it, touched, it touched me in a way where I, I wondered if something in the market like this existed, something that would keep an eye on me 24-7, particularly at nighttime. And it's mm -hmm. simply, if I stopped breathing, would anything to detect that? Would there be an alarm? Would it wake up someone next to me? Would it call someone? And there was nothing. The closest thing we could find was a life alert, which, That's you know, right. 
if you're wearing one, it looks like a dog collar, right? It's a pendant. <laughs> and so it's something, if I was wearing one today and we were hanging out, you'd be like, you know, you would assume something was wrong with me or sick or elderly. And then they're phone based. So you have to be very close to your landline if you're using it. So you have to be three to 500 feet from it. So when people get them, for me, I kind of view it as it's almost like an end of life prison sentence. You know, get one when you're old and, you know, this it's a, I think it's a conversation between you and your kids of, I don't want to go in the old folks' home, so we're going to give you this button, but yep. you can't leave your house. And then the cost is, is incredibly expensive. They're, they're super pricey. But beyond all that, they don't have any sensors on them. They're not tracking any biometrics. So effectively, there was nothing. And that was the genesis of the idea. And um, so we started the company uh, last year. It's been about a year uh, last week. So we're super excited about that. And, um, you know, brought on some team members from Practice Fusion I had worked with and built out a really remarkable team from Apple and Frog and Basis and Intel. And um, we've been heads down. The technology is now working. So we're super excited that we can actually detect a cardiac arrest, uh, which is just phenomenal. And uh, we will. Yeah. And so the product will be going to production this summer and we'll be delivering it for Christmas. Beautiful. Congratulations for taking something that happened in your life and, and creating something very positive that will impact millions. Yeah, we hope so. We think it will be really profound. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about how it works. Let's first start with how does it work from a consumer standpoint? By the way, you are so right about Life Alert. Um, when you look at those TV <laughs> ads, I don't know if you've ever seen those TV ads. Sure, of but course, I'm like, of course, yeah. if, if I'm at that stage where I'm one of those people in the TV, just shoot me. Like, don't put a life alert <laughs> around me. Those ads are so depressing. Jesus. Um, so, yes, I, I'm so excited to hear that there's going to be an alternative to that when I'm 95. Um, well, the, the interesting part, Rena, just, just, to, just to, uh, you know, in that same vein, we there hasn't been any innovation. So the market's called the PERS market, Personal Emergency Response Systems, and and there hasn't been innovation for 20 or 30 years. So the commercial, you know, the iPhone and I can't get a commercial. Their product literally looks the same, but potentially it's a little bit smaller, but it's not, you know, it's not in a form factor that's a wearable. So there has been no competition in the, in the, in the space in 20 to 30 years and therefore no innovation. But the craziest part is LifeAlert is not the biggest guy out there, but LifeAlert does a half a billion a year in recurring revenue. Wow. Which, which blows my mind, yeah. So Philips Lifeline is the biggest company. They're doing $750 million a year in recurring revenue with, this, with the dog collar. So um, we think there's a tremendous amount of space and opportunity to bring something you know, much more progressive to market. And I do want you to answer the question um, after we've talked about how the, the watch actually works, why there has not been innovation. But we're going to hold on to that thought towards the end because it's something to think about, right? Why hasn't there been more innovation in, in the space and, and related yep. spaces? Uh, but let's start with, so how does this watch? So someone's listening to this podcast going, oh, my God, I, I worry about having a heart attack and dying in my sleep in, in my 40s. So how would it work? So it's a smart watch. You put it on, and then what? So it's a smart watch. And, you know, we did – I'm not a big fan of when a company in the Valley says they really differentiate on design. I think most designs are, you know, very subjective and – um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But that said, you know, this isn't just a standard screen. You know, this isn't just a, the layout's better or nicer. W w no matter what, the, 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 the design definitely is uncanny, and it's in a watch form factor. And I'll, I'll talk about why we, we did that as well. But it's we taking a step back, the company's mission is empowering people to be fearless, explore, and live longer lives. 
And so part of that, we didn't want something you strapped on your body. We didn't want something that was a major change in behavior for the end user. So we did some research up front, and the majority of Americans wear watches. So that just made a lot of sense. And so we did pick a form factor that not only being a watch, but the design itself just looks like a higher-end watch. It looks like a very expensive watch. And what it's doing is that, first and foremost, it has a single button on it. So if you need help, if you're, if you're older, and let's say the example I just used where I'm walking down the Embarcadero, let's say I, I just, I'm afraid of something or I hurt myself or whatever it may be, I'm lost. I press a button, and what it does is that it turns on a cell radio, it reaches out to emergency contacts, 911 if needed, and then we have a network, a proprietary network of heart heroes is what we call them, and I'll explain that in a moment, but it does that. So it replaces a life alert if you need that. But we think the core use case is really what we were just talking about. On the heart component, without going too deep and giving away too much, we're tracking heart rate and pulse strength, just like any other wearable. But what's unique to us and novel is that we're tracking the chemistry in the body. And so effectively, if you stop breathing, so if your heart rate suddenly slows or stops, things within your body, different, different, uh, different components of your body are going to start changing, let's put it that way. And so the oxygen in your tissue, the oxygen in your blood, your perfusion, these things are going to change very, very rapidly within seconds. And the net is that we are tracking a number of items on the chemistry front that allow us to detect something going wrong. And so we'll engage the user. We'll go, Reno, are you okay? Yes or no? And the reality is if you're having a real cardiac arrest, if your heart has stopped, you're, you're out cold. So when it happens, you most of the time, what people report is they don't even know what happened, if that makes uh-huh. sense. They drop, they simply just drop down. And so obviously you, you're not going to answer in that scenario. And within 10 seconds, what we've done is we've counted down. And in that case, we know it's catastrophic. So we've reached out to emergency contacts, 911 and the Hero Network. But the challenge, so when, as we started dissecting the problem space, the challenge is, is that 911 on average is 9 to 12 minutes away. And you need CPR in three minutes to live. So how do you solve for that? And the emergency contacts are usually further away. So like, you know, if your, your husband or wife or whatever it may be is generally further away than 911. So what we've done is we've built a proprietary network of individuals. There's about a million nationwide that will be part of the network when we launch. And they'll be available. So these are trained professionals as well as lay people like you and I that can join the network, learn CPR, and be dispatched and provisioned, um, and be good Samaritans in the case that someone nearby needs help that's wearing the watch. That's fantastic, because that is a big issue, right? So you're notifying me about I'm about to get a heart attack, but really, what am I supposed to do about that? So you're providing exactly. yep. you're providing the the resources to potentially give me that CPR in three minutes, and of course, a million starting out's great. But the assumption is how do you solve for that, and, and perhaps th- there are different ways to solve for that. So for in companies, for example, how do you get to where you've got some required people that have been trained in every company and in every zip code, and so you, you start to build that, that landscape out. That, that sounds great. Have you partnered with the Heart Association, et cetera, as well? To we, we have not. We've been talking to a number of different organizations. There's a lot of heart-related orgs and foundations throughout the nation. So we're starting to have a lot of those conversations, and we have partnered with a number of societies that 
um, organize CPR rallies and whatnot. We, we have a piece of technology we're provisioning to them that allow them to basically train using our technology. And, and so when you, take a, when, you, when you look at the problem space, if I train, um, think about you go to a school, you train 50 kids in CPR there. Mm-hmm. Now, that's great. They know CPR, and I know CPR as an individual, but I've never actually put it to work. And that goes for 99.9% of people that know CPR. And so, you know, this game of concentration where you're kind of trying to, you have someone that's trained matched to someone that has an incident is incredibly powerful. And that's one of the things we're building out. And so we have been, we partnering with different organizations that train in CPR, and then they provision our technology, our, we have an app that they provision to people who just learned CPR and then those people are notified when someone nearby needs help. So the new, the person who just learned this new skill can actually put it to work in the real world. Now, will you be paying the heart heroes at some point, or is there going to be some compensation for someone to sort of up and leave whatever they're doing to go out and save a life? This is a, 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 a fully volunteer Good Samaritan Network. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the other side now. From a tech standpoint, how does it work on the back end, and why do you think this hasn't happened yet? And there's a lot of watches in the in the marketplace, um, Apple's own watch, for example. And what is it that you've done that makes it so special? What's your secret sauce, and why hasn't been, it been done before? Yeah, I don't. You know, the why. I, I tend to think the space. You know, like many other spaces, I, I, I kind of hate the Uber analogy because I'm not a huge fan of Uber, but the you know, why, why not put location aware technology into an app and, and provision it to taxis, right? Why didn't that, why did that happen five years too late? And these major players like Uber and Lyft have come in and disrupted that space. And I, I think that my best answer is complacency, right? These people just, there's not a lot of innovation. They're not super technically versed. They're not here. And I think that there is no one pushing anyone to get better. And I think that that's why the technology in the space we have, you know, it's funny, in our investor deck, we have a slide with the major competitors on it. And one day we were looking at it, and we recognized that the investors didn't know who any of these guys are, right? Because they're just not super right. familiar with the space, and that's fine. And so we, we were like, let's just paste their best product for each of the respective competitors on this slide. And it paints a picture that's, you know, really resonates what you and I are talking about right now. Everyone has this strap and this pendant and a radio box and they're they're terrible. And and then when we got feedback from our users, we got we we ran research panels when we started the company and we had a number of users. I was kind of surprised by this that doctors had recommended the product and they wouldn't wear it because they didn't want to look sick. And so it makes sense, but it's funny, I think that when I talk about it, I, 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 you know, I'm being kind of coy when I'm going, hey, it looks like a dog collar. And it does, right? But I think, it does. My, I, I think at the same time, I'm like, well, if I was 75 and I needed it, I would get over that fact and I'd wear the device. And people don't is what we found. They, they won't wear it. They'd rather go without it. And then there's a lot of reports of family members buying it for parents or whoever it may be, and they're not, they, don't, they don't wear it. So that even if they've, someone's paying the subscription, they won't wear it as well. So, you know, the, the landscape is highly antiquated, li- literally antiquated, right? These solutions are over 20 years old. They're 25 years old. They're antiques. And 
they, you know, there's just no one in the space that's really made a push. We have heard of a number of companies that have tried something, not quite like we're doing, but there's been a couple of guys that have risen up and kind of had some doubles out there. And I think that, you know, if you're running a hardware-based startup, you got to be well capitalized. I, so I do think the incumbents are really big and they have the dollars to stay in place. And they've, you know, things like um, their CPCs for AdWords are very expensive today. So you got to take a different angle. It's one of the reasons we have Dr. Oz involved to, to basically get scaled marketing. The business has to be capitalized. And I raised about $200 million in my career. So it's something I think that I can do with this company. And we, we recognize that when we go to market, we need to build a brand very quickly and demonstrate, you know, what our LTV is and understand our CAC. And so the economics we need to understand well, but the net is, um, I think that the competition, you know, it's kind of, uh, like a t- two to three companies are running a monopoly and they don't have any need to get better. And so I think those are the major drivers. Um, you know, we're just doing simple stuff like the technology itself. There's nothing really um, leveraging an IoT platform. So we have cellular service built into it. Our economics are better because it's not a separate cell plan. So those things are uncanny. It leverages the cloud. So every time you charge the device, all the data that's been collected since the last charge is brought up in the cloud and analyzed. So the data really informs the product to get better for you and then the masses. And then if you have an event, so the event that we detect will be a real-time cardiac arrest, but we're pretty confident that we get predictive over time. And so that's really powerful for every user on the platform. Even if we're a minute predictive, that will save thousands of lives over the course of a year. And there's clearly an opportunity to get some big data going in the back end once you are live across a million people. Um, you're going to get so much smarter than, than where we are today and be able to be definitely better predictive. What is the cost for a consumer at this point? So the price point, projected price point is $249. Uh-huh. And the monthly service will be roughly $20 a month. So that will include cellular service. So the user will not have a separate cell bill. And that will also include a human dispatch. So if you have an incident, what we're doing is when we detect the incident or when you invoke the incident by pressing the button, our dispatch is calling you to make sure you're okay. So there's basically a double false positive. One's on the device itself asking if you're okay. The second one is us calling you. And then our dispatch is running quarterback, if you will, across the emergency contacts and the heart heroes to make sure everyone's coordinated, to make sure that 911's in route, to make sure that you know, imagine the nightmare of this happening to a partner of yours and you're 20, 30 minutes away, which is not uncanny, and, mm-hmm. and um, you can't get there. Or if you're across the country and something's happening to your parent, this dispatcher is making sure that you're informed the entire time as well. You've got a little bit of that Uber going on in terms of location. You know, where, where is my heart hero and how quickly can I who, – who's the nearest heart hero and how quickly can I dispatch them over, um, which is great. Does, does the watch have a speaker built into it or is it a separate phone call? So the watch has a speaker built into it, but it would be a separate call. So the speaker is for local functionality, and our plan is to work towards, you know, a future release to potentially have it be more robust. A, a two-way conversation, yeah, that, that'd be very potentially, cool. Potentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. So who is this ideal for? I mean, who are you targeting with this watch? You know, it's interesting. I think that when we went to market, when we went to market with initially testing the market, we assumed it would be elderly. And, and in that assumption, we also assumed that it would be a child. Half of the time, we thought a child would be buying it for a parent. But right. what we found is 
is that when you're over 50, your risk of cardiac arrest and your heart stopping become dramatically higher. And, and with that, the other thing that we've learned along the way, and I probably learned this in my last, my last um, career, if you will, practice fusion, is that people, the single biggest indicator of your health, it's not where you live or your gender or your race, it's actually your economic status. And so when you think about that, if I make, you know, twice, three, five times the national average, I, not only do I probably have, probably have less stress, I probably live in a better place, et cetera, et cetera, but, but cutting down to kind of brass tacks, I can simply afford better healthcare and better pills. And therefore, I'll live longer than most people. So the inverse of that, though, is that the sickest people are the poorest people. And what we found is that people over 50, you know, if you've lived a lifestyle 40 to 50 years of, you know, if you're, if you're making the average household income in America is about $53,000, and that's for two people, right? So you're eating a lot of fast food, a lot of processed food. Mm-hmm. 40 to 50 years really increases dramatically. And so what we found is that, you know, the majority of users have started in this 50 to 60 cohort, which is much younger than a traditional life alert. Their adoption is roughly 2.5% of all 70-year-olds people in their 70s, rather, have a life alert type device, and that rises to 5% in the 80s. So generally, people are not bring, getting these devices until they're elderly. And I think that really our price point, which is about a third to fifth of the rest of the market versus the rest of the market, as well as the look and feel of the device um, and the cardiac component are driving a dramatically younger audience to our, you know, to our company, which is good for us in a variety of ways. If the product does work for them, you know, we will likely have that customer, the arc of the life cycle of that customer will be exponentially longer than our competitors. Therefore, our LTV will be higher and we'll be in service to them longer as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I can just see your marketing campaign, you know, your husband's turning 50, the, give them a special gift when they turn 50, a gift of life. Um, you could literally... There's so, there's so much fun marketing with this company. I'm really... Yeah, 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 yeah. We just went to a 50th birthday party in San Diego, and that's, that's where the idea came. It's like, I can just see that. <laughs> that, that. That is such a great idea to just link it to 50th birthday, give your husband a gift. Um, you know, there, there, there's that. There's women are at higher risk for heart disease than men, so we find that as well. So the, the female angle is really, really huge. Um, really? I thought it was men were dominant. Really? But for, for death, but in heart disease in general, it's just, it's females. So they actually have a higher wow. incidence. And then, you know, it's fashion forward, so there's a huge fashion forward angle. And then there's on the, on the heart hero side, which is super exciting for me. You know, I have a son, he's 22. He plays video games, and in those games, he'll get a badge or be a hero, per se, quote, hero, mm-hmm. uh, during that game. But when he turns it off, he's just kind of the average kid, right? And this, he can go through this training, and he can be, a hero in real life. And there's, you know, some really interesting marketing, especially with mm-hmm. the hero trends with all the Marvel and DC comic Absolutely. movies that are out, which is super, super exciting for us. Absolutely. I can see you guys sponsoring one of those upcoming uh, movies, Marvel movies next. Um, <laughs> I, have I'd one of those have guys wearing your watch. <laughs> <laughs> have Robert Downey Jr. wearing your watch. God knows he needs one. If you know um, him, please... If you may, if you know him, please make an intro. Sure, sure. Next time we have dinner, I'll I'll uh, I'll bring you up. <laughs> you know, I mean, insu- what about insurance? Because uh, as I think about this, um, two forty nine, twenty bucks a month. 
if I've been diagnosed with a heart condition, this is a no-brainer. If I haven't been, you know how, how humans are. We tend to think we're going to live forever until crap hits. So one easy way would be if insurance covered it. Are you in talks with insurance companies to cover it and then have a doctor recommend it? Yeah, so I don't think – this is just my – you know, the, the last year I was at Practice Fusion, we did deals with three of the top five payers in the U.S. And th- those deals are – yeah, this is more of a general feedback and insight from doing those types of deals for pretty much any entrepreneur in healthcare. Those deals, you know, the cost of sale is very high because those deals take a very long time. And then what we found is that, and I, you know, we'd seen this time and time again, the large system carriers and insurers, and whether it was a lab or insurance company or imaging chain or these third parties that transact on behalf of the doctor or patient, they generally don't have a direct relationship with the doctor or the patient. So insurance, what we found, is generally not a fantastic strategy to give something to a patient or a doctor. They generally are not talking to the doctors. Insurance themselves are usually contracting with an office manager once a year to renew their rates to get the doctor enrolled or, or the practice enrolled in a contract with the insurance company. And so I'm not a huge fan of that strategy. That's just me, though. Um, okay. the, the, the bigger issue I see is that I don't believe that insurers are necessarily aligned with making people live longer for this scenario. And not to sound morbid or conspiracy theorist, but what I mean by that is that if a patient has a cardiac arrest, if their heart, heart stops, and let's say, um, let's say after six minutes, so you can still live, you can go 10 minutes without oxygen and still live. Now your chances are down to about 10% of being revived, but if I make it to you in, like, let's say the eighth or ninth minute, I give you CPR, we get an AED, there is a chance you can live. Now, imagine going through that, Rena. You wake up, you're like, hallelujah, I just survived my heart stopping, a cardiac arrest, et cetera. That'd be amazing. But likely, you're going to be cognitively impaired. So you might not remember your name, your motor skills might be stunted. And so the challenge that we see is that you could be on, you're pretty young, you could be on assisted living literally another 30 years. And the insurer, when you think about the ROI, it's massively negative, right? And so it's funny, we're not seeing a ton of excitement. Now, let me flip this over. Where I do see a tremendous amount of opportunity is actually with with life insurance. I think that this is a channel that's um, Mm. hugely aligned with us. So let me run that scenario again. Let's say I can make you live a year longer, two years. You probably have an insurance policy. Uh, you know, a, a basic insurance policy might be 100 grand, 200 grand, uh, you know, multi-million dollar policy. They're not that, they're not outliers. Many, many people in the Bay Area have them. They're not super expensive. And so if I can get you to live another year, let's just say a year for this example, you know, that's a year of float that they're not paying out or a float that they're collecting from not paying out. And is that worth a hundred dollar subsidy? The ROI makes a tremendous amount of sense in that scenario. Absolutely makes sense, and um, I'm assuming that they would be willing to fund you. Or in fact, for us, I, I remember when we got our insurance a couple of years ago, there were all these requirements they had to come in do the testing, but there were some some other things in there. I can just imagine in the future them saying, "Well, you need to put this smartwatch on, I beat on as part of signing up for this very large life insurance." Um, because it is really in their best interest to make sure you're alive. So you know, it's interesting you say that. I, I have a I have a big old Victorian house in San Francisco, and it has you know it has been renovated when I bought it, and it has 
a fire alarm, like an intricate fire alarm built onto it. So think about this. Just an, it's an alarm system. It's keeping, it's a monitor. It's a monitoring system with a third party, right? So there's a piece of hardware keeping an eye on the property. If it sees an issue, it calls dispatch. Very, very synonymous with what we're doing. And in that, I get, I get a dramatic discount on my homeowner's insurance. That's now, right. if, there's a, if there's a fire here, half the house can still burn down, right? There's a sprinkler system, but the structure will still be intact. And that's, you know, so they're not rebuilding from scratch. And it's very, very similar to this as well, where um, even if the person's not perfect on the exit, you know, not to be morbid, that it, it, it's highly, highly aligned with, with the economics and the ROI and, and uh, the incentives are very aligned. So we think that life insurance will be really interesting for this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my mind's been sort of ticking away. You're tracking pulse. You're tracking heartbeat. Um, clearly, there's a lot more telling information in there than just an impending heart attack. There is emotion. So, you know, if I'm working out, yes, my rate's high. But also if I'm in a board meeting having, a, having an argument, my heart rate's going to be different. If I'm having an emotional conversation with my spouse, it's going to be different. Um, at night, it's going to be different. So where's the future? Where do you want to go with iBeat? Is it just going to be heart-centric, heart attack prevention-centric? Or are you yeah. thinking further ahead? Yeah, so there's a number of things we can do with the data, right? So, so first and foremost, we're really focused on doing one thing very, very, very well, right? So basically that's, mm -hmm. it's sensing if you're alive. And that, that's different than exercise and fitness and activity and sleep tracking. And we just want to know if you're alive or not because the, the reason is, is that we feel that use case is the most important one we could literally be working on. So basically it's aligned with saving lives, we think if the device comes to market and it works, which we believe it will, you know, it, it's easy to talk about anecdotally with you right now, but I think it will be profound when someone, like, I can strap something on your body. A good example, let me just give you an example. We have a number of investors that are in their 80s, right? These are gentlemen that are in their 80s. On an actuary table basis, the average expected lifetime for a male in America is 76 years old. So... Never mind being 75 and thinking about kind of hitting that ceiling. Imagine surpassing that ceiling, right? You're over-indexed now. And so you can put something on your wrist that could potentially buy you more time, right? So time would literally be on your side, uh, pun intended. But, you know, the, the, I, I think that when it finally saves someone, I think that it will, people will have a paradigm shift. And what I see is that the older the person is, especially when we talk to investors, the they get it in a way that at 41, I don't, if that makes sense. And, mm -hmm. and so there's a, obviously mortality. I think about it often, but that ceiling is a glass. Is, sorry, it's not a glass ceiling. It's a finite deadline, timeline, however you want to look at it. And when you hit it, you're going to hit it hard. And some people get a little past it. But, you know, even if you're worth a billion dollars and you have the best cardiologist in the world, that cardiologist is not with you 24-7. So I, think, I do think that it will be incredibly powerful when – it's on someone, and when they wreck, uh, I imagine we start demoing this externally, that people won't want to take it off, right? Imagine, imagine testing it on an elderly person. Um, I think that people will be incredibly compelled um, to want to keep it on indefinitely. So we're really excited about that, and I think that you know we, I can imagine being there, and I would want it on all the time if I was 70 years old. 
Talking about cardiologists, how'd you make Dr. Oz such a strategic part of the company? And this is more now from the entrepreneur standpoint as well. That's a coup. So we met Dr. Oz when I was working at Practice Fusion probably about five years ago. And what he does as part of his show is he tries to be in service to viewers that are underprivileged. And it's quite a beautiful thing. He'll announce on the show that he'll be in San Francisco next month at the Concourse Center. And he'll tell his viewers if they're underprivileged or underinsured to come on out. And he has a crew with them of other physicians and clinicians that effectively will give physicals to people that don't have insurance. And the challenge with that is that if you're seeing a thousand people in a day, which they were many times, to collect all that data, there was you know no electronic health record at the time that could actually do that. So when I was at Practice Fusion, we could actually set up you know a virtual clinic and we could collect all that data. And we did something that was really really cool. We would look at that data and then compare it with the rest of the country, right? So we basically scorecard and index that data, and we'd have the mayor out for that particular town and say that that town was either healthier or less healthier than the national average. So we had met him in that, in that capacity. And when we started IB, we recognized that, you know, between the name and the mission, which I mentioned as well, we recognized that the brand was really, really critical. And in that, we wanted a shepherd for the brand. And so we had put together a list, you know, we, we had a really strong network from our last company. And we put, we, we, we really just didn't limit the brainstorming. We wanted someone that had had a cardiac incident, and we looked at Burt Reynolds. He had had, you know, cardiac bypass, David Letterman, Bill Clinton. And, you know, we were like, we can probably get to some of these people. And then during the conversation, Dr. Oz came up. And we knew him, obviously. And what was, all, what was cool about Dr. Oz was that, one, we knew him, but also he's a cardiothoracic surgeon. So many times he still actually operates. So many times, you know, a, a person that has some of the early indicators or risk factors that we've been talking about during this podcast will end up with someone like Dr. Oz or Dr. Oz himself to actually do the surgery. So part of Oz's mission is to basically empower people earlier on so they don't have to go through that. They don't have to go into the night. Now, the other part of his mission is to teach everyone in the U.S. CPR. And he runs a nonprofit or he's part of a nonprofit that actually does that as well. And so you can see where the heart hero component actually dovetails with that part of the mission and then the watch obviously uh, potentially prevents the surgery or gets a person um, notified early so they can actually make it to that scenario. So we just found that we were intrinsically aligned with him. And, and at this point in my career, I had, you know, we, we had a fair amount of success with practice fusion, but it wasn't without, you know, without its scars. And so what I, I learned and what I had really incorporated into the DNA of this company and my new personal core value system was that there was just a refusal to work with anyone that I wasn't highly, highly, highly aligned with. And that could be an investor, a board member, Dr. Oz. And so when we met up on this particular project, that was really critical. Stylistically, we were very similar, but we just had the same long-term goals. And he's um, more than exceeded every one of those to date. So we're super excited to see him really be integrated as part of the brand as we go forward. He'll be, you know, part of the, you'll see him at our retail kiosk as part of our training. So we're super excited about that. That's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations. That's, that's really nice. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to ask you an interesting question around the, the concept of the smartwatch. So the question is, how many smartwatches can someone wear? 
And you know where I'm going with this. There's already a bunch of smartwatches in the marketplace, and there's already people, of course, wearing the the Apple Watch. Um, there's a lot of other wearables that are coming out. Fitbit's a great example. So I've got Fitbit on one side. I've got a smartwatch on the, on the other side. How do you see positioning yourself around these other watches? And at some point, do you believe that you're going to start through API integrating with a wearable someone may already have on? So it doesn't have to be your smartwatch. It's your data. It's your heart heroes. It's your connectivity. But you can pipe through someone else's smartwatch. Or do you do you plan on retaining the the essence of the watch? Yeah. On on you know on the, I'll answer the second question first. If we if we could have done that, I'll, I'll be candid with you. You know, hardware is really hard, and mm-hmm. it wasn't our sweet spot. So when the team came together, we started building this. We we actually tried. We actually were trying to OEM a product, and without getting too deep into that, it, there's nothing on the market that can do this for, for a variety of reasons. Just the cellular connectivity itself is incredibly challenging. And then also the sensors that we have are, are holistically proprietary. They're our design, they're our IP, they're not available in the market, et cetera. But we, did, we definitely tried to take that approach. The smartwatches on the market, so they, they can't do this. They'd have to be an Apple Watch, for example, would have to be rebuilt from scratch. They need a totally different sensor. Their battery lasts about eight hours when it's tracking heart continuously. So right now, you know, the Apple Watch tracks heart once every 15 minutes or so. When it goes into 15, when it goes into fitness mode, the battery only lasts less than a day. So you know, for those two reasons, we they couldn't detect what we needed to, and for our users, they couldn't serve them on the battery lifetime as well. Um, our our sensor is obviously, as I mentioned, proprietary. You can detect um, heart stopping. The battery will last five to seven days. And then the other piece, too, is price points really critical. So I actually think just by we are in a bubble being here in the Valley that we think that people actually in abundance, the average person buys an Apple Watch. They just don't. And so what we found is that, you know, the average wholesale income, as I mentioned before, is about $53,000. If you're on Social Security, you're making about thirty grand a year. That's pre-tax. And so you're not spending $1,000 on an Apple phone and an Apple Watch combined. So the barrier to entry and the price was really, really offset as well. So, you know, those are some of the issues with the, with the devices that are on the market today and why we couldn't get them to work. The, so, we, and again, if we could have found it, we would have gladly tackled that. We gladly would have went that route instead of building a proprietary device. The, the, um, the use case side, so I, I would argue that, you know, we have arguably one of the single most used cases, the single most important use cases that could be set forth, right? It's not, you know, making it a little easier to capture an Uber versus pulling the phone out of my pocket, you know, in, in the Apple Watch use case. And step tracking has some utility. I'm not going to argue that, but it's, you know, it's, it's it's an inference that's not super profound, right? It's not, there's not super strong corollaries to losing weight. And, you know, you don't know if you're getting stronger, things like that. So the Fitbit's nice. It's it's more of a novelty. It's been successful in volume. Um, their economic model is obviously flawed. If you ever look at their stock price, they're just getting crushed. So we are, when I take a step back, we are a service. We are definitely a service enabled by a piece of hardware. So that's one way I believe we're different because we, we do have a service-based component. None of the other wearables that you mentioned and none of the wearables in the market have a recurring service revenue component. And that was 
we wouldn't have started this company unless it had that. And there's clearly a reason why that's there for the end user. You want, you know, you want ongoing cell connectivity. You want ongoing dispatch uh, supervision or oversight or, or availability, it's probably a better word, um, to be part of the solution and people understand. It's like a drop cam in that sense. The, the hardware works on its own in a drop cam, but if I'm not paying for the recording service and someone breaks in my house, it has no utility. So you understand now, now I, under, I recognize and I'm okay paying the 10 or $20 a month and that's the same as our service as well. So for those reasons, we think it's quite compelling. Now it does have, so it is a watch. So it's, it's a, you know, we think it's a beautiful watch. It tested with our end user group um, very, very well. What was interesting to me is like, it's almost taboo to save here. But in, in, by by here I mean the, the you know the Bay Area. I, I think the Apple Watch is ugly as hell. So I just I wouldn't wear one. I don't think it's attractive. And I've always felt that way before I started this company. I thought it was really dorky. I think Apple's not a fashion company. I think the new AirPods are really weird looking when I see them on people. They remind me of those shoes where you can see the person's toes. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. So they, 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 Apple just <laughs> Apple has a beautiful aesthetic for designing a piece of standalone hardware. Um, I used to have their, their mini MacBook and it was the most beautiful, you know, one of them was in MoMA, right? So they're great at it, but they, they're terrible at apparel. When we ran testing with our users, they overwhelmingly preferred a round watch. And that was just a simple piece of feedback. They just all, every, you know, it just crushed the square watch. Um, uh, the data just was, users abundantly preferred that. So just simple things like that, and then I think we I think we nailed the aesthetic as well. So the, it is a watch from the functionality standpoint. Has an alarm clock timer. It does have a step tracker, so it has an accelerometer and a step tracker. And then so kind of jumping over to a Fitbit. I, my feeling is is that you know they've there hasn't been a tremendous amount of innovation in Fitbit for Fitbit over the last five or six years. We used to buy them all. We used to buy Fitbits for all of our employees in my last company, and the product besides steps really hasn't changed that much. I think it more accurately tracks stairs, which I'm kind of impartial to, and then I think that um, it infers calories as well. So that's just an that's just math. It, it understands how many steps and how many active minutes you've had. So we have that functionality as part of the core product. So I, I don't see, you know. With it, with the average Fitbit where they're selling most of their products is simply the step tracker. I don't see us missing a beat with the functionality because we're not doing anything special on that front. Step tracking is really, really, really simple, and that's why right. so many companies do it. Um, and you know that that part of the chips, a dollar or two on the bill of materials. It's just it's a very commoditized function. So uh, you know it is a watch, it is a step tracker, and it can save your life. And we think that you know we've checked all the boxes for people to go, is this more important than the other things that are on my wrist? Now, that said, our user base, we're not competing against an Apple Watch. Like 2% of them have an Apple right. Watch. We're, we're competing against literally analog watches. So Citizens, Timex, and Seiko's are our competitors for this wrist space. And so we, we looked at, the, we did analysis on what they paid for these, how attached they are, and the beautiful part is that you know, you can have a $140 Seiko, $150 Seiko, and that's a decent watch. It's pretty nice. And that's, you know, what a lot of our users have on their wrists. But, you know, our, our functionality and our aesthetic, our, our aesthetic is at least as nice as those from, from our user feedback. And then our functionality, obviously, is more important than just telling time. So displacing an analog watch is pretty straightforward.
Mm-hmm. To what extent do you think it's going to be a watch that also inspires and motivates you through um, these little reminders during the day? G- given you are focused on heart, I'm thinking it, it'd be quite easy for you to pipe stuff like, you know, is it time to take a walk um, or make sure you're eating an apple at lunch today, you know, at 11.55. It reminds me I should eat something healthy for at lunch to keep my ticker ticking. Are you Are you building any of that in as well? Yeah, there'll be a little bit of that. It's just, you know, I would not expect us, I would expect us to be a very, very smart life alert. I would not expect us to be, get too much into fitness. Um, daily recommendations, probably not. Like, so things like, um, I, I would, I would tend to say we'll be more functional. So I'm trying to, again, not okay. give away, throw out the baby with the bathwater, but um, we're focused on safety. So I didn't answer your question earlier on where else it can go along because you were asking kind of a question that was in the same light as this, but, or similar, but, but you know, we, we think safety is a macro category. I think six, I think safety is Got a it. $50 billion, billion dollar market. So I think safety, we're talking about, so one way to look at this is that, yeah, it's cardiac related for these people. Another lens to look at it is it's safety focused for 50 plus, but what yeah. about safety for kids? What about a version for kids that if the child gets lost, or feels unsafe or abducted, could it work for them? And I think that we will more likely go in that direction. I think that other categories within, especially the elderly and the aging category, is loneliness, remote check-ins, things like that. I think we can do a lot of interesting work there. Safety is huge. I mean, gosh, uh, there's those ads, right? Like I've fallen and now what do I do and I'm living alone and or um, uh, an elderly woman leaving a mall and there's some some kids behind that are that are troubling her um so i think building in things where i press a button and it says are you okay and you say no i need help but it's not heart related it's safety related so it's exciting to hear that you are going to to go in that direction because i think um as a female i can myself imagine wanting to use a watch like this for things beyond heart i mean it's great that the heart's taken care of but there's other aspects of safety that um um, including where I am, you know, location-based. Um, yep. So I'm out. Yep. I'm not answering my phone. Great. My family can now see where I am. So that's that's really good to hear. You mentioned, uh, well, gosh, we're almost at the end of our of our show, but I have one more question. You you mentioned uh, you've got some people in testing stage, and uh, prior to the podcast, we were we were talking about you going into a testing stage um, today or tomorrow. T- uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that, about this large-scale test you're going to go into. Yeah, so we've tested the sensor against other clinical devices in the marketplace that are standard, and um, it's performing incredibly well. So we're past that, and we've tested uptime with uh, a number of different people on are we able to capture the signal the way we anticipated, so all that's working well. So we're moving into our final testing right now, which is putting this on the wrist of, you know, thousands of people within a clinical hospital-based environment, and we're doing so with a large, prestigious university um, in a, you know, ambulatory, sorry, in a, um, in a, uh, in a uh, cardiology-based center. And so we're super excited to basically start to use that feedback to model sensitivity and specificity of the device. And um, that's where we're at. So we're, we're getting, you know, we're getting on the home stretch here. And to be honest, you know, the, the, the thing that kept me up when we started the company, especially like probably mid mid last year, in the last year, was I knew we could build this, 
And I knew that, you know, people have built wearables before, and even in the cell component, tricky, but people have done it in the past. So was worried, but knew it had been achieved before. It was really, could we detect this? And if you came by the office today, I could actually put a I could put the device on you, our, one of our models, and our proof of design, and I could actually cut off your circulation in your arm, and um, you see all the technology work, and it's it's really really amazing, um, and people just kind of they're they're enamored by it, and so that, that was the thing that kept me up at night. And so seeing the actual technology work, um, now it's about effectively getting it to scale, make sure it works reliably, and then getting it manufactured. So we're we're basically through some of the harder stuff and um, looking forward to having the product out again this late fall for Christmas. Do you need clearance? Do you need FDA clearance or any other kind of clearance from any other agency? We don't. So this is not diagnosing cardiac arrest. This is detecting if your heart suddenly slows or stops, and that's how we're actually marketing. So we're not actually going through FDA approval. it'll It'll be marketed as a monitor. Got it. Got it. Super exciting. Um, Christmas, I can, I'm can. i ready to, to purchase one for my mom, one for my dad. So we'll keep an eye out on your uh, official launch page. And uh, those listeners to our podcast in the show notes, we are going to put in some links for you to keep track of where the iBeat uh, watch is in the process of, um, of being available. There is a pre-order page, so we'll put the link into that as well. Ryan, this has been really fun. Um, any last words of advice for entrepreneurs listening to the podcast uh, with respect to how have you been so successful and what can they do as, as they look at taking their healthcare startups and, and making a success out of them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I would leave with is that I think there's a lot of things and problems out there that can be solved. And I think that, you know, pick something, pick something large in focus. But I think that if they're in healthcare there, my biggest takeaway to most people is be in service to others, right? Find something that 10 years from now, if you close your eyes and think about waking up 10 years from now and you look at your life, are you working on a solution that optimizes the taxicab industry or are you doing something, even if it's not at scale, even if it's only helping a thousand people, um, that's profound, saving someone's life or making someone's life better. And before I started Practice Fusion, I was a product manager for a company that optimized Walmart supply chain. And I recognize that like, like, I'm like, when I'm gone from this place, like, am I a net positive or a net negative? What have I really contributed? And it was, you know, I imagine my, my headstone saying Walmart stock price is worth, you know, a fraction of a penny more because of my work, my work. And I'm, I'm, you're laughing. And I'm so serious. This is like actually how I looked at it. And so I wasn't super skilled at the time. And I, I, I had run a marathon for my friend who had leukemia. I ran the team and training marathon. And I watched this nonprofit in action. It was invigorating. Um, but it was during the dot-com bust. And, like, there was just no jobs to be had. And I was like, gosh, even if I go work at Blue Shield processing claims, at least someone as a cog in this big machine, at least someone's benefiting from my work. And that's actually what got me on my path. And so I'm just a big, big fo- I'm a big fan of that. I think that, you know, especially living in Silicon Valley, there's a tremendous amount of pressure for ego and prestige, prestige and, and it's highly capitalistic. And not to, not to say that, you know, the, the money and the success isn't fun with it, but um, what, again, 10 years from now, uh, the job will be hard and the company will be big and like what's bringing you to work every day. And it's, it's, 
Um, if I don't go to work, you, you know, when I was a practice student, if I didn't go to work, um, I wouldn't be in service to the 300,000 people a day that we were seeing on the platform at the time. And this company, I believe, will be very similar. And and that's, for me, much, much more motivating than, you know, some stock options or a decent paycheck at the end of the day. I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. This has been my story where I did a lot of different startups, and now I'm focused on Healerpedia and Live Longer podcast, and I have never been happier, more passionate. Yeah, I noticed that's excited. amazing, like a huge transition in your, in your background. So cool. Huge. And um, I, I'm telling all the startups I coach now, you know, find something that resonates with your heart where you feel like you're going to leave a footprint behind um, for millions, not just that you got richer, but that you really made someone's life better, someone happier. Oh, someone. T- couldn't agree more. And it doesn't have to be healthcare. It can be, you know, energy, environment, education, food, water, human rights. Yeah. There's just so many great so causes. Many problems. And the same, yeah. At the same time, there's just so much just, just noise. And that's me putting it in my most friendly kind of tone, right? There's just so much media and social. And um, it's just, you know, my other litmus test is that your solution's up and running, right? And someone shuts it off. It gets shut off tomorrow. Does it matter? Does it, you know, and there's, I think a lot of people rationalize, well, it's harder to catch a cab or it's harder to get my groceries and that's, it's an inconvenience, but is, yeah. you know, again, is, is someone, are their human rights taken away? Are they not getting food and water? Are they not, you know, energy, environment, education, health? So, you know, the macros are the macros and I'm a big believer in them. And I, you know, I, try, I tend to spend my time in them hundred percent and then spend time with other people that I do work with, what I'm advising or on a board, they're part of those comp- you know, part of those categories. That's a great litmus test. Absolutely. I'm going to use that one, Ryan. Well, thank you <laughs> so much for taking all the time out of your very, very busy life right now and sharing your insights. And um, again, thank you for making this amazing product and doing something out of the ordinary. Um, for, for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to tune in to our next episode to learn about great innovation and products that can help you live longer, healthier, and happier. Till next time, this is Rena. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.